wanted to make a couple of uh, acknowledgements this weekend. First, it's uh, good to see uh, the Parkers back here. They had kind of a tumultuous weekend uh, in Lansing uh, with an issue, and we're so glad Lee's here and that he's doing a little bit better. If you haven't uh, said anything to Lee in Maryland, be sure you stop and uh, give him a hug because he's, he's had a rough weekend. Um, thanks, Dan, for alerting me to the situation there. Um, also, I understand that uh, we have a special visiting family with us here this weekend. Uh, Caleb here. Caleb uh, Crane and family is here with us. If you didn't uh, see him when he came in and stopped and shake his hand, be sure you do so. We're glad his family's here visiting with us. And uh, I haven't gotten a chance to, to meet you yet, Caleb, so hi. I'm Josh. And uh, we did it again. If you believe it or not, we, we made it to the end of another August in Michigan. Well, that was hard, wasn't it? What this means is whether we like it or not, the seasons are looking to change, right? And summer is going to be, I know, don't say it, preacher, but summer is going to be making its way through the outdoor before too long. Uh, fall is moving in. For some of us, that means that playtime is almost over, for some of us. Now, looking at the calendar, autumn uh, 2018 doesn't officially begin until Saturday, September 22nd. But as we all know, in the state of Michigan, the weather outside doesn't exactly observe a calendar, does it? We can sometimes feel summer clear into October, and that's kind of cool when that happens. Sometimes we've got jackets on in August, not too surprised by that. And uh, is Betsy around here somewhere? She's flo Okay, she's flo I'm going to pick on Betsy a minute because I can. Um, Betsy, if you didn't know this about Betsy, Betsy's a person and... Correct me if I'm wrong on this, Jesse, but uh, Betsy's a person that basically always has a jacket on. Like, she, she's never caught without a jacket, at least around in the office. And I, I used to think it was because she just really liked the concept of autumn. She just really liked having jackets on. But my guess is because the minister prefers an indoor office climate just slightly warmer than Alaska at Christmas time. You know, Josh comes in and the Iceman cometh. I'm only kidding by a little. But the temperatures are on the verge of changing. Betsy's going to start wearing a jacket any day in the office. And uh, whether we like that jacket on outside or not inside, we look to another season on the timeline, autumn. And then, believe it or not, wow, another season change on the timeline. Instead of winter, I'd prefer to say the coming of our Lord. That sounds a little bit better than winter to me. <laughs> Christmas time. And as we think a little bit about what's ahead of us, can't think of a better time than uh, the present to jump into a new six-week series from the last book of the Old Testament. A series we'll call Messages from Malachi because we're going to be preaching through this book called Malachi. And why? Why, you may ask. Why, why Malachi? I mean, does the preacher just open up his Bible and flip pages wherever finger lands is what it gets talked about? Uh, I promise that's not the case, although I should try that sometime. But just like where we are in the changing of the seasons with what's ahead, uh, so is the setting for the book of Malachi. It's interesting. Written between 440 and 400 B.C., its author, by the way, we know very little about. Malachi was sent by God to God's people Israel to deliver a message. His name, Malachi, actually meaning my messenger. Here's the setting. God's people out of exile at this point. 
Their prophets had urged them to see uh, that exile as punishment for failing to obey God. But the promised land was somewhat being restored. Temple worship was back on the agenda. So what does this mean? It means it was only a matter of time before God's people were once again, and we see this time and time and time again in Scripture, God's people were getting lax on their commitment to their creator, weren't they? Funny how we are when things are going good. They were going through the motions of godly worship under the old covenant, but their hearts had already become fixated on their own plans, on what they were doing. And the book of Malachi will go on in the chapters that follow this week's text uh, to describe their responses to God in detail. It's kind of a sad state of affairs when we look at it. And we're going to talk through these issues week by week. Uh, they had spiritual leaders that were corrupt. They had relationships that were adulterous. The poor among them were being exploited. Does any of this sound familiar? And they were failing to follow through with their tithing to God. And the biggest problem at this time with the Israelite people is they had largely become spiritually indifferent. And this is the point that we want to focus on this morning. So God's messenger Malachi came to Israel under these pretenses, under these circumstances to say, people of God, the seasons are changing. So must your behavior. Turn back to the Lord. Take his covenant commands seriously now before the day of his coming. And although the book doesn't skimp on reminding God's people of the grace they've been given, chapter 4 of Malachi, we're actually going to end with a solid pronouncement of judgment. It's interesting. It's been said. I didn't have this in my notes today, but uh, the, the New Testament ends with, with a blessing. If you open to the end of the New Testament, the Old Testament ends with a curse. Interesting that. A great messenger will come, and then finally the Lord himself, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Christ wouldn't come to his people for several hundred years after this book. And so we can look back at the book of Malachi as the last word from heaven before John the Baptist and ultimately Jesus would appear to usher in the kingdom of God. Through Malachi, the Lord is saying to Israel, saying to his people, all right, summer's done. Folks, playtime is over. It's time to take my command spirit, uh, seriously. It's time to let go of your indifference uh, your spiritual boredom, because time is running out for deliverance. The day of the Lord is coming and the, the world will be judged by their obedience to me. This is what God is saying through his prophet. So the question we want to ask as we kick off this series together is this. Once again, does this sound familiar to us at all? Are there similarities between this era in which we live and the era in which I've just described beyond the fact that uh, the leaves are going to be falling from the trees and things. Are we today like God's people before the first coming of Jesus, showing indifference before the second coming of Jesus? And some, some of these charges that God has, has brought against his people, again, we're going to tackle more fully over the next few weeks. But let's open up the beginning of this book this morning and see if anything hits home with us uh, over just a few verses of our text today. 
Look with me here. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to continue through verse 5. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. That's our introduction, okay? Now this is the, the prophet. Verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Verse 4, if Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Verse 5, your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Okay, we'll stop there this morning. What's the first thing we come to in our text? Going back uh, to verse 2 after we establish what kind of a text this is. Find this interesting. What's God's immediate message to his followers? It isn't, I will smite thee like I will everybody else, although we might expect that. Might be okay. This is, again, the same God of the Old Testament as we encounter everywhere else. Uh, Bible critics and skeptics often like to talk to us about God in the Old Testament, like his main goal is to strike people dead, right? But God has a different message for his people. Right off the bat, I've loved you. I've loved you, says the Lord in verse 2. I've loved you. And this statement will set the stage for the entire book of Malachi. It's interesting, leading to its final conclusion. I've loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? One commentator notes that the tense of the Hebrew verb loved in the text here actually is saying, I have loved you in the past and I continue to love you now. This is what God is saying. His first message right off the bat. But how does God's people respond? Well, they fight him. They fight him on this point. They fight, they fight back, and they continue to fight him over the entire course of the book. And, you know, it's not necessarily because Israel were seeking to be rebellious, but they just weren't being the people whom God had called them to be. Still, he loves them. God loves them, no matter what. Verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? And this dialogue continues. Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. So God is saying, remember who you are. You are my people. I love you. If you remember from last week's message, if you were here, we finished, uh, finished up our Summer of Grace series. We talked about how God actually chose the bloodline of Abraham, likewise descendants Isaac and Jacob, out of the people on earth to be a blessing to all the people on earth. And in Deuteronomy 7, 6, we're told, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. For the purpose of being chosen for service to the world as a bloodline by which Jesus Christ would be born. God loved Jacob. You know, if we're bothered by this text, if we question this text that says God hated Esau... It's not that God didn't love Esau's bloodline as his creation as well, but he didn't love Esau's bloodline in the same context that he loved, that he chose Jacob's. 
ultimately Israel's purpose was verse 5. To say to the whole world, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. They were chosen. They were loved. They were to deliver this message. But although Israel was loved and treasured and chosen by God, they'd forgotten time and time again, right, who they were under God. Jacob's descendants had become indifferent to their calling. In fact, looking more like the children of Esau, the Edomites. I've laid waste his hill country, left his heritage to jackals of the desert, God says. So while Esau's descendants, the Edomites, whose pursuits would all be temporary and eventually laid waste in time, we see here verses 4 and 5, only that which was done for the glory of God would stand time. Didn't matter who you were. But Jacob's descendants, Israel, once again, indifferent, maybe a little bored, wanting to do their own thing, fallen short of their purpose of serving and glorifying God? What was to be the fate of those who weren't doing this, who weren't glorifying God? And we can see it in the pages of God's word. We can just look at the Edomites. From the pages of history, we can see Esau's descendants. This group regularly attacked the Israelites. Didn't matter that they were related at one time. It's funny how that keeps happening. King Saul and David at one point had both been at war against Edom. The Edomites themselves eventually disappeared from the pages of biblical history. Because if you're not counted among God's people in time, you aren't counted at all. But God loved his people too much to let them go. Then and now. Funny how that works. By the way, it's interesting, by the time Greek became a common language... Esau's descendants, the Edomites, the ones who uh, generation after generation ran counter to the plan of, of God, they became known as uh, the Idumeans. And do you know who perhaps the most famous Idumean of Scripture would, be, would become? One author notes none other than King Herod the Great. 400 years later, the tyrant who, quote, ordered a massacre in Bethlehem in an attempt to kill the Christ child. Isn't that interesting? We all know how that worked out in the second chapter of Matthew. So I find it interesting how God has limitlessly remained the victor for the ones he loves. How God loves his people. But again, time of Malachi, the Israelites, the descendants of Jacob, according to the Old Testament, they, they'd begun, they had begun to look more like the black sheep of the family than the chosen ones. Again, maybe they didn't mean to be so rebellious. Perhaps they were just a little jaded by the state of things. Maybe they didn't exactly feel loved by God. That's a feeling that creeps up on God's people from time to time, isn't it? We, we just don't exactly feel loved. Remember, remember all the, the other messengers that had come, all the other uh, Hebrew messengers of God that had come and gone and left a few promises behind for, for Israel. Uh, they'd had uh, prophets such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, and Ezekiel. We still have their writings today. What did, what did these people promise them? Promised God's people. This golden era, right? This beautiful harvest, this power under the Messiah, Jerusalem being the center of the earth. These were the circumstances that Israel was expecting, but things weren't exactly this way for the Jews. These weren't exactly golden years. The Jews had had a good hundred years after the exile building and worshiping in the temple, and Nehemiah had been successful in rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. 
But Israel didn't exactly feel as though they were flourishing. Because think on this. Think on these statistics. At the time of Malachi, there were about 100,000 people present in the land. They lacked an army to protect themselves from their hostile neighbors. They were under the thumb of the Persian king. To make matters worse, their farms weren't exactly producing the best because of drought. Not exactly feeling chosen this year. How's God loved us anyway? Where's that love of God? I believe God's people were like this then, and I believe we are today. Not feeling it, Lord. Not feeling your love right now. I've loved you, God says. But how have you loved us, we say. It's tragic when the beloved takes for granted the one who loves them, isn't it? We, we see this within our human relationships. I'd like to paint a little picture for you this morning. Picture with me a, a working husband. Promises his, his homemaker wife he'll be home. Going to be home from work, home from uh, the desk job he has at a certain hour of the day for dinner. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe, you've, uh, maybe you know someone uh, that's lived this. By mid-morning, he sends a text saying, I love you. See you at five. After lunch, his, his work is picked up. He gets to thinking of his wife and, and, and what he told her again. And so he sends her another text. Sends her another text saying, uh, can't wait to see you at five. I'll be there soon. Well, by 3.30, uh, this guy's growing just a little bit frustrated. He's had some technical difficulties around the office. Have you ever fought with a copy machine? You think that's going to be a five-minute deal, and before you know, you've killed about five days, right? He's been fighting with some equipment. Maybe on top of it, the phone's been ringing off the hook. Maybe he's uh, got some clients expecting to hear back from him. Still this business day at this time. At this point, the time that he promised his wife he'd be home, it isn't looking as reasonable uh, for the next day as it is today. 3.45, he sends another text home. It's a little bit more cryptic. It says, honey, trouble at the office. So sorry. It'll be 5.30. No later. Love you. Have you ever gotten a text like that before? Within 15 minutes, a customer complaint gets directed his way. So 4.30, instead of getting the work off his desk like he'd planned, he's, he's trying to work out a three-way conference call with quality assurance and human resources. And by the time everybody's happy, it's about five minutes after five. Now, Mr. Wife at home has two options at this point. Get in, get in the car and make it home by the time he told his wife earlier he'd be there or just cram in just a little more work. I can get in just a little more work to try to catch up for tomorrow. No big deal. Hey, you know, it'll be one missed dinner that he tells himself, nope, no biggie. She can save me a plate at home. She'll understand. This is going to go well for him, isn't it? Another, another text gets sent to the uh, loving wife at home, sweetie. Can't make dinner tonight. Sorry. More trouble at the office. Unhappy clients. Be there around. Dot, dot, dot. 7.30. Save plate. Hit send. Have you ever, you know, hit something quickly and then like, you know, like you got out and ran, you know, like the person reading it is going to read it quick as quickly as you typed it in. 
By the time Mr. Frustrated Wife at home uh, pulls in his own driveway, it's 9.45. He walks in the front door. He finds a plate of dinner sitting cold in the microwave and an exhausted wife slumped over in the living room chair. Rats, I knew there was something going on tonight at home. We were supposed to keep the neighbor's four kids. Shrugs it off, walks over to the microwave, pulls out the plate his wife left for him and heads to the bed. I'll make it up to her tomorrow, he thinks. Wow, what a jerk, right? But it's funny how the next day at the office looks a lot like today all over again, text after text, delay after delay. Does he mean to be so indifferent? Or is he just caught up in doing what he's doing? Okay, dear, I love you, his wife thinks. But how have you loved me, he thinks, you know, the cold leftovers. Those can become a nightly routine for the workaholic. The presence of alienated children and a wife who's too exhausted and frustrated to even have a single minute, a five-minute conversation with her husband, let alone any degree of intimacy with the man she married when he comes home from the office. This is called being indifferent to love, right? Taking someone for granted. It happens. It happens in our culture. And I think while most of us would publicly frown upon treating our spouse like this, even if we'd maybe be privately guilty of doing it because workaholism is rewarded in our culture so wonderfully, much more than how we treat our families at home. Funny how that works. I'm curious about a different kind of lover to whom we grow cold. How about when we act the same way toward God? What happens to our relationship? Not going to make it to Sunday worship this week, we think. Won't make it to share in communion. Won't make it to give my offering to have fellowship with other believers to sing praises to God. But I love you, God! We think we have the best intentions, right? Being involved with other Christians, with sharing in kingdom celebration, doing what we're supposed to do, being together in fellowship. And the day after worship has come and gone, we think, well, I missed Sunday again. I'm just going to have to make it up to God next week. But it's funny how the next Sunday morning, for some reason, turns a whole lot like this one all over again. God still loves us. God is still there for us. But we're growing cold. We're growing indifferent. I'm not saying our spiritual health is wholly dependent on our church attendance, but if we can't keep up in the small things God has asked of his beloved, such as continuing to meet together, Hebrews 10.25, how do we expect to grow closer to the one who loves us, right? To experience the Lord, to, to know his love as he has created us to know him. I realize that situations come up in the proverbial office. Our lives are full of hardship. It's possible our health is failing us or we're taking care of someone we love and it's making it harder to keep up with. Maybe our faith is being tried or maybe we're under the thumb of an employer dealing with a difficult work situation. So we think, well, how's God loved us anyway? How's he loved us anyway? But we neglect our call when we grow disappointed with God. And my friends, whatever your circumstances are under the Lord this morning, don't let them cause your heart to become distant from him, from your one true love, from the one who has loved you, the one who truly loves you. Don't let your circumstances, don't let a hobby, don't let a vice, don't let anything of this world that is temporary allow you to become indifferent to your calling. If it's you this morning, and this goes beyond your worship attendance, this goes into your serving throughout the week as well. 
If this is you this morning, the Lord is saying, summer's done, folks. Playtime is over. It's time to take my command seriously. Let go of that indifference. Let go of that spiritual boredom. Time is running out. Remember your first love. May God's people not be spiritually indifferent like those descendants of Esau. Instead, remembering that beyond everything, beyond even his own son, the Father has given it all to you and you and you and you and you and to me. It's easy when things are going well or when uh, things are busy for our hearts to grow cold to he who has given us everything. And maybe we start just going through the motions of religion. Maybe we would even say we've become bored with the Lord. May our hearts be rekindled. Came across a story this week, um, borrowed from another preacher I thought was interesting. There was an article in the Scientific American Journal which discussed actual research conducted uh, by a group of uh, uh, some psychologists on boredom. That sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> wouldn't you like to sign me up for that? I want to study boredom. A video was compiled by uh, the researchers in which, uh, quote, two men stand in a white windowless room. Silently, uh, they uh, see a pile of clothes. They take clothes from a pile between them, and they begin hanging the clothes on a white rack, a shirt, a sweater, a sock, etc. And the seconds tick by on the clock. 15 and 20 and 45, 60. The men, the men just keep hanging laundry. Eight, uh, 80 seconds pass, and one of the men asks the other for a clothes peg. Whoopee, we're having fun. Now, maybe some of you wives are sitting here thinking at this point, preacher, I'd love to see this video of my husband hanging clothes up. That'd keep me entertained all weekend. The video continues. 100 seconds. Quote, the men keep hanging laundry. 200 seconds, they keep hanging laundry. 300 seconds, they keep hanging laundry. Shown on a loop, he continues. This video goes on for about five and a half minutes. And unsurprisingly, the article declares the people to whom the researcher showed this video found it to be, quote, stupefyingly dull. We're shocked. We were expecting higher uh, ratings than that, right? After watching the video, I'm paraphrasing here, the researcher th then asked this group of viewers to respond uh, to, a series of, to an image on a monitor, to a series of star-like light clusters. After participants had, in their own words, become good and bored, as they put it, by watching the video, this video of the laundrymen, they were then unable to respond to respond in the same amount of time to the visual stimulation presented to them afterwards. Apparently, folks, if you didn't know this, we get bored very easily. It doesn't take long. And it affects us. It affects us. How about our service for the Lord? Is it like hanging up a sock week after week after week after? 
Think about it in this 24-7 digital age in which information is displayed and consumed at the click of a mouse. It's no wonder that we grow uh, indifferent to the eternal commands of God. When Jesus says, follow me, he's not talking about Instagram. And so the seasons must change. The seasons must change. One day, says the prophet, our own eyes shall see the great is the Lord well outside the church to every dark corner of this world. And you know what? We can look to that light now or be consumed by the darkness. The choice is ours every day. There's a message for us. We are loved. You are loved. God thinks you're to die for. You can respond to divine love either with indifference eh, or by letting it make a difference. Friends, will we remember who we are in him? Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word today, as we begin to take a look into the words of, of the messenger from you. Lord, I pray that we would be honest. We would be honest before you. Lord, we live in a world with so much being presented to us. Every hour, it seems there's, there's always something to distract us, to fill the time. Lord, we have so many options when it comes to using up the resources that you allow us for just a little while. Lord, I pray that, that, that we would have the courage to remember your love, to not question, to not say, eh, to not wonder whether you're there, whether or not you care to remember the cross, to remember all that you've done for us from the beginning, to remember that love. Every day, Lord, we look around, we see your love. Help us to not become indifferent, to become cold, to go through the motions, to just wear the name tag Christian and, and like we would a, a pin or, or just a title we would claim that, that means nothing to us or little to us. Help us to follow you. Lord, we, we don't know how much time we have here. We know that you are the only one that knows that. Help us to use it wisely. Help us to give glory to you within our walls and far outside our walls because we are your people and you've called us to serve and to be holy. I thank you for the church. I thank you for uh, the age in which we live, Lord, in which everything has been done for us to justify us. But help us to remember that we have work to do too and to not be bogged down or distracted. Help us in our relationships. 
Help us to be honest. Help us to be transparent with one another. And to not hide behind a facade or hide behind any pretense except salvation found in you. Help us give up the whole world because of your love for us. It is in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. How has he loved us? That's how he's loved us. In this age, we've seen that love. We've seen that love on a cross. Wow. Can't, uh, can't begin to wrap my head around that kind of love. Every day we have a choice to follow, to imitate, to be his people because he's justified us. If you have a public decision that you'd like to make today, if you, if you haven't yet gone into those, those waters of baptism and come up a new creation under God, We'd like to invite you to do so. There is a love that is so great, it defends you. It makes you whole again. Only he can do that. Only he can offer that. If you have a public decision you'd like to make today, we invite you to come forward as uh, Brother Gerald steps forward to receive. And we're going to stand and sing, Your love defends me. You are loved.